Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Our guests include members of the media, former players, coaches, sports executives, and even fans will share their favorite bowl season stories with you. Today, we are joined by former West Virginia Mountaineer and NFL tight end Anthony Becht and Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl Executive Director Scott Glazier. Also joining me as she does each week is our on-air producer, Angela Lang. Angela, can you believe this weekend is already week five of the college football season? You know what, Nick? I can't believe it. And I feel like we've learned so much in these first five weeks, but there's so much we don't know, right? I mean, it's so many storylines developing. Is there anything that's surprising you as we're heading into week five? Well, I've learned uh, that nothing surprises me in college football anymore, and I'm looking to look forward to talking to Anthony about that a little bit. But I, I'm just excited that there's going to be a group of schools that get their fifth win this week, which means they're one game away from punching their ticket to bowl season, which is always exciting. Yeah, and I know you have some exciting initiatives uh, coming up. We'll be talking about that in some later editions of the podcast related to folks being bowl season bound. But before we really get to that into uh, week six, as we look ahead to those teams that, that get to punch their ticket, we want to talk about what's going on heading into week five. And to do that, we'll bring in Anthony Beck, who you mentioned, played more than a decade in the NFL, also was a star tight end at West Virginia and has plenty of bowl season stories to share. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, Angela. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. This is great. Thank you for uh, having me as a guest. Anthony, you and I have known each other for, for a little bit now, you know, back, uh, you were an, you were an, uh, analyst on ESPN for, for a long time, back when I was running football, the big East, I saw you at games, <laughs> you'd always come to our big, uh, clam bake, uh, meeting oh man, Newport. love that clam bake, man. The greatest kickoff to any <laughs> conference in the history of college football. At least I've been around. I, I totally miss those gigs. That's for yeah, sure. I do as well. Just seeing the student athletes eyes when the, when the bed of lobsters was unveiled was something, uh, something to behold, but you know, I seem to, I seem to run into you when I'm down in Tampa at various functions as well. It's always good to see you. I've always had a lot of respect for you personally and professionally. So it's really special for me to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, same with me. I mean, you know, you've done some really good things. You've really moved around some really important uh, you know, uh, jobs and labels and conferences and overseeing a lot of important things. And, you know, and of course, I like to follow your family and what you guys are doing, your boys and stuff, which is pretty cool as well. So uh, it's been great. It's good to be on. Yeah, th th thank you for that. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the current, you know, this current year. When you look around college football, pretty wide open this year. You know, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, a handful of others, they're having their struggles, you know, even even Oklahoma, they, you know, your, your Mountaineers couldn't close the deal last week. I yeah. thought they had them beat, but uh, all the conferences seem wide open. Even Alabama looks semi-mortal. You know, how do you view things uh, this year as, as we're getting into really the, the middle third of the season here? Yeah, you're right. I love it. I love the fact that it's difficult to figure out who the top teams are. And I think we're, you know, we find more information out every single week. This week, Alabama and Ole Miss is going to be a great matchup. Can somebody finally break through and beat Alabama during the regular season. I mean, the, you talk about offenses, this one you don't want to miss because Ole Miss is all over the place with Corral and, and, and Kiffin, the way they do their offense. Uh, I mean, all the way down to Clemson. I mean, they're hanging on to by, by a thread in the top 25, 
you know, they haven't really been in get off the ground either. And you look at their struggles and their offensive line and their quarterback, you know, it's nice when you have Deshaun Watson for a couple of years and then Trevor Lawrence and now, okay, you got to start over. It seems like it's not as easy as maybe Alabama makes it look every year when they have, you know, Bryce Young playing quarterback who's, who looks like he's grooming himself to be the next great quarterback in Alabama. And then some surprise teams, you know, uh, for instance, uh, Michigan State. I mean, they look really good early on in the Big Ten. You know, not a lot of people are talking about them. You know, Maryland's undefeated. Um, you know, I, I got a small, obviously, interest in Iowa State. They had a, a tough loss last week, but, you know, they're, they're a team that returned all their players. And, you know, could they make some noise here in the, in the stretch of the season here to probably get back on track? So you're right. There's a lot of exciting teams, Oregon, teams that have a lot to play and a lot to prove. And we know with college football, anything can happen. Anthony, tell us a little bit more about your interest in Iowa State. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my son is a senior quarterback down here at Wiregrass Ranch High School uh, in North Tampa. Uh, he committed to Iowa State back in April, uh, among several other schools that uh, he, you know he had interest and in, uh, some offers from, and uh, he's super excited. You know, he's able to you know commit. He's going to leave early in January so he can get the ball rolling and and be a part of it. You know, they got a great program. I think um, uh, Matt Campbell, to me, is uh, unbiasedly one of the great college coaches uh, in college. And I think the reason why is, one, they're winning. But I think I know my son goes and plays under him. He's going to become a better person, a better man. And he's going to win some football games, too, doing it. So really uh, fun stuff. Uh, I coach high school. I'm the coordinator for the team this year, trying to help out any way I can. And uh, it's been fun to kind of spend that time with him. But yeah, Iowa State's definitely on our radar every single week. Yeah, that that, that provides a really different dynamic when your son gets to that level. I have a son who's a freshman in college playing baseball. And, um, you know, I'll be looking forward to talking to you again in a few years, compare how you saw your experiences in college and and, and playing in bowl games versus how you see it through your son's eyes. That'll, uh, that'll be very, very different for you. No sure. social media when we went. That's yeah. the difference right there. That, that was, that's probably a good thing for you. Through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's talk about you a little bit more now and, and, then, and then get into your experiences playing for the Mountaineers and, and in bowl games. You had a great career at West Virginia. You, you left as uh, second among uh, tight ends and, and catches, uh, 10 touchdowns. You're an honorable mention All-American, team MVP, drafted in the first round by the Jets. With all that you accomplished at West Virginia, what are some of the things that stand out most in your mind from all those experiences in Morgantown? Yeah, you know, I wish I could sit here and tell you I had a bunch of offers and options. You know, West Virginia was my only offer and only scholarship of all levels of football to play. So I was kind of forced to go there, which is great. I didn't know anything about them. You know, I, I had watched a, a game they were on that the, the year after they played Florida in the Sugar Bowl, I believe, in 93. That next season, I happened to catch them. I think they opened up in Nebraska and they got thrashed. And that was about it. So you know, after that, it was like, okay, well, I want to play D1. I wasn't very big. I was 6'5". I was a smaller tight end. Uh, I had to pick up some weight, but I had potential. And they believed in me. So they brought me out there with very low expectations. And, um, you know, I was able to build myself up, get in the weight room, uh, and, and really kind of nurture myself. And all of a sudden, I became, you know, the, a starter and, and a first-round draft pick. So I owe a lot to them. I, my memories are this. You know, number one, one of the best fan bases in the country. If you ever go to a West Virginia game, I mean, they love their, their players. They love football. There is no professional team in the state. You know, a lot of them are Steelers fans just by because. But from a location standpoint, 
Everybody loves the Mountaineers. Uh, the fan base are awesome. I have a lot of great relationships and friends and, and deep-rooted, obviously, connections with that, within that state. And, you know, I met my wife at school at West Virginia. She's also from West Virginia. So I always go back and they embrace me with a lot of love. Uh, you know, the old mantra of the top party schools in the country. Well, when I was coming out, West Virginia, they were a top, not only top 10, they were number one. It got to a point where they weren't even in the rankings anymore. They just said, okay, West Virginia, you're clearly the number one party school. And then there's everybody else. So that, that was interesting too, because there's a lot to do in Morgantown. There's a lot of bars, a lot of students. Everybody thinks West Virginia is kind of off the grid, but I remember a lot of kids from PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Long Island, all those kids that would come there and go to Scott, go to college. It was just a great experience for me. And just a rich tradition. You know, Don Neal was the head coach at the time. He basically started that program uh, after, uh, you know, Bobby Bowden had left for a, for a small tenured stay there and went to Florida State. Uh, he really built that from the ground up. No one knew about West Virginia. And he made it a household name, a team that people were afraid to play. They made some really good runs uh, with Major Harris late in the late 90s. And then, of course, uh, that team in 92, 93, where they ran the table with Jake, uh, Jake Kelchner, the quarterback, and really made some noise. So it was great to be part of that tradition. I learned a lot of that once I arrived. It's interesting to hear you talk about the fact that you weren't highly recruited. You know, it's in, you hear a lot about the, the, the five-star guys that everybody wants. And of course, there's, there's you know, tons and tons of guys who, who, who aren't good enough and don't have a chance. But a guy like you, you know, I'm sure you were confident in high school. You thought you were pretty good. You, you, you weren't sure how good. All you needed was somebody to believe in you and give you that chance. I, I got a really interesting story. When I went on my visit, you know, I had a really good high school team. I was probably the fifth or sixth best player on the team. We were good overall. We had a, a lot of good players. And no one really expected me since I wasn't getting a lot of love from schools <clears throat> to go and, and play at somewhere like West Virginia. So when I took my visit, I don't think anybody was anticipating me coming back and saying, hey, I got offered a scholarship. It was very late in the process. It was about 10 days before signing day. Uh, I was holding out for hope. One double A, which was called at that time, the Yankee Conference, Boston, Northeastern, Delaware, Villanova. They just wouldn't pull the trigger on me. And I was, you know, it was a frustrating time. So I, I went up and they brought me up because a tight end that they originally wanted had decommitted, backed out. They went back and saw my film and they said, you know what, let's bring them up. The funny story was I sat in Don Nealon's office that weekend. It was short because it was snow and there was a storm. It was, it was one lane down from Pittsburgh to Morgantown. It, it took forever to get there. I remember sitting in his office and he's like, you know, Anthony, he's like, uh, you know, we really like your tape. We evaluate it. And, you know, you're a guy, obviously you're going to have to build your body. You're going to have to get stronger. You're going to have to get faster. He's like, hopefully by your junior or senior year, you'll be able to provide some help with us, at least special teams wise for the school. And, you know, for me, I was just like, whatever I heard that. And I was like, okay, so what are you saying coach? He's like, well, you know, do you want to be a mountaineer? And it just hit me like, like, wow, like, you know, I'm getting an opportunity to play for Division One football at West Virginia, the Big East, who you know of at that time was the echelon of college football. You know, they just had a lot of great teams, the Miamis, the BCs, the Syracuse, you know, McNabb, all those schools were really strong at that time. And from there, you're right. It was an opportunity that was a small crack in the window, but I, I squeezed my big butt through that as best I could. And I made the most of it. The, you know, the strength program was really good. Uh, I, I really hit the weight room. I sacrificed every spring break and stayed and lifted. My, my summers were there. 
I didn't go home. And I just was truly committed on being great at college. Never really had aspirations of the NFL, but just wanted to fulfill all the, maybe the, the doubt that was out there about folks saying, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't go to West Virginia. You can go to a D2 school. You can play now, get an education. You know, you weren't highly recruited. It's so hard to go out and do that. And I just said, you know what, man, I'm going to take a flyer. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to push myself to the limit and just believe in what I was doing. And, uh, you know, with a little bit of luck in the certain situations, you find yourself in a, in a, in a spring game where you made a, you know, some big catches as a sophomore and all of a sudden you're on the radar. And uh, after that, it just, the trajectory went up and, and it was just a great experience. I was just glad I had that opportunity because who knows, I was going to go D2. I was going to go to IUP. At the time, IUP was the best D2 school uh, back in the mid-90s. They were winning national championships. They were getting a lot of transfers. We talk about that portal from a lot of big-time schools. And I was like, man, I'll just go there because that's where all the, the, the best other guys are. And it worked out for me, and, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. That's a great story. You believed in yourself. You found somebody that believed in you and, and, and you made it work. And, and when you were there, you got a chance to, to go to several bowl games, yes. you know, the Gator Bowl against North Carolina, the Carquest Bowl uh, in Miami against Georgia Tech, the Insight Bowl in, in Tucson at the time, yep. I believe, uh, against Missouri. Uh, all those games were pretty close. Uh, it came up a little short, but overall, what was that experience like for you? You traveled to Florida and Arizona with your friends, your teammates, the events, the food, uh, pull back the curtain for us a little bit. Like we, we, we all watched the games on TV. We saw what happened between the lines, but what, what kind of fun is in store for, for student athletes when they go to these bowl games? Yeah. You know, coming from Philly, you know, I never really got a chance to go to Disney every year or Florida or these different spots. And it really was my first experience of traveling. Like, you know, you travel to a game, you're there and you leave. Right. So you don't get to experience anything, but when you go to Florida and the Fort Lauderdale area, when we're at the Carquest bowl, you know, it was, we got to do all the fun things, the, the beach bashes and the, and the different, you know, events where you eat and you get, you know, some gifting and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff was great. I was a kid that, you know, came from a modern conservative family, but it was, you know, you didn't, you didn't have those luxuries, you know, it was like, you just kind of took it for what you had, but those were like the rewards for putting in a great seat. I think we all get kind of drawn into like, we got to win the national championship. It's bust. Like there are some super bowls out there that do an awesome job. Carquest uh, bowl was one of them down in Fort Lauderdale. Then we went uh, earlier. It was the number one defense in the country, West Virginia versus the number two defense in the country, North Carolina. Mac Brown had that team cooking. You know, they had Julius Peppers, Va Bonnie holiday, uh, you know, Dre Bly. I mean, it was like an NFL all pro roster you were going against, but we were the number one defense. So it was a battle. I was a young player. I got some reps, but just going against players like that, trying to block Bonnie holiday and, 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 and going against a young peppers, man, that, that was a challenge. I mean, it was a, like, wow, like this is, this is a huge game. You know, the Gator bowl in Jacksonville, just great presence. Um, you know, fan bases traveled down. My family got to go to all these games and celebrate it with me as well. And, you know, you stay at the really fancy hotels. So, all those things were good. And, and then, of course, my junior year was the was the was probably the best bowl. We didn't get to go my senior year to a bowl game, but Insight.com was good because we were a team that was um, had a good year, but there was a lot of expectations for the senior season. So that was kind of like our launching pad for us. And we played a really good Missouri team. Uh, if you guys remember, Corby Jones was the quarterback. He was kind of ahead of his time a little bit. You know, he was like that dual threat guy that could do some great things. But the one matchup that people don't remember or think about much, and I always bring this up when I call college football game, Barry Odom was the outside linebacker 
uh, for, for Missouri at that time. Barry obviously had a head coaching stint at Missouri, and then he's the D.C. now at uh, Arkansas. And I, every time I called a game where he coached that, whether it was at Memphis as a DC, I always brought that up in our meeting, talked about how I used to school. And I, I think I had like almost a hundred yards receiving in that game. And I said, everything I ran was off that outside linebacker. I think his name was Barry Odom. And uh, that, that always came up in our meeting. So there were great times. There are really memories that I'll have. I mean, I still got my rings and, and my watches in my, in my drawer here. And, and uh, they are fond memories that I have. And I know that the kids you know, even though the perception and the, and, the, and the fan base and media is all about national championship and the big bowls, those bowls meant something to me as a player. And those are memories you can never take away from. As a young, young football fan, you grew up in Pennsylvania. Did you have a favorite college team you, oh, yeah. you rooted for? And, and, and how about bowl games as a youngster? You know, did you watch bowl games on New Year's Day? What was your perception of them at the time versus when it became reality for you? Okay. Yeah. So, so I was a die hard, die hard Notre Dame fan. Like if like I had socks, hats, t-shirts, anything you can think of, you know, Lou Holtz, Tony Rice, you know, uh, Bettis, Rocket, Tim Brown. I mean, like even basketball, I just adore, I, you know, there wasn't a lot of sports channels with basketball, but I would like try to find that little sports network that had them because they played a team on the East coast or you know, Villanova or Temple and try to, watch Lafonso Ellis and stuff, but I loved them. I mean, yeah, every game we played uh, early Saturday in the morning in my CYO football days, and I would run home and we would go watch Notre Dame games because uh, they were on TV. That was like the main school that was on TV. And I, I wanted to be uh, a fighting Irish player. I wanted to go there. And I remember getting that letter from Lou Holtz my, my senior year, and, and it was signed and said, hey, listen, you know, you're not good enough to get a scholarship, but if you want to come walk on, you're feel free to come up and and come play. And I, you know, it kind of killed me. And I, it became the, the highs to the lows, but that was the team I rooted for and wanted to be a part of the most. Uh, and then from a bowl standpoint, absolutely. I would sit and watch, you know, a lot of, I, I from what I remember, a lot of the big bowl games were kind of on like two days, right? So like you had like two or three, one day, and then the next day, another one, I would watch all of them, man. I mean, clearly watch the one Notre Dame were in and they were in some big ones, obviously at that point, but just, uh, you know, getting to know some of the other, major bowls at that time, watching orange, watching cotton, watching the fiesta. Like those were like, sit down, what time are they on? Let's find those games and, and, and get, in, get involved and, and watch them for sure. Those, those were great days. Last thing, Anthony, you're, you're a busy guy. You're a talented guy. You, you, you've, you've made Tampa your home. Uh, you you coach your high, your son's high school football team. You, you do uh, pregame post game for the jets. Um, you're, uh, you were an ESPN analyst, uh, you have a new podcast. I want you to mention that, uh, in a second. I knew all those things about you, but one day, several years ago, I'm flipping through the channel. I don't watch the home shopping network very often, but I, yeah. I it caught my eye. I said, is that Anthony? Now, usually I, I see some attractive woman selling, selling right. things, but you're on there selling a knife set or Tupperware or something like I know, I know the Hope Shopping Network is based in Tampa. Tell us about that gig. How did you get it? It doesn't look yeah. super hard, but uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Okay, so a couple of things with that. Number one, I wasn't selling knives and Tupperware. <laughs> I, I was the official co-host of the NFL Football Fan Shop. So we sold all the officially licensed NFL products. I was obviously the, the co-host for the show, and then I would be paired up with someone else, that uh, one of the studio hosts that worked there. But my job was to represent 20 plus companies that had NFL licensed products. I may have been selling NFL knives 
at that time when you watched it on, but that's what my job was. And, um, you know, you talk about it, it looked easy. I'll tell you, it was the hardest thing to do uh, because here's, here's how it works. There's five cameras, all right? You have a running board that tells you immediate sales calls and numbers that's in front of you. And your goal, obviously, in that window is to get as many and drum up as many people to buy, you know, your products to watch, to get on and stay on as long as possible. Also, with the director in your ear, getting you to five different cameras. When you're calling a gamer in a studio, it's either one or two, or you're just watching the game from where you are. Uh, also, in that in that situation, it's an hour straight, no commercials. So I would literally, in some instances, for instance, if there was an NFL throw, I would have 20 minutes to talk about a throw. And you're thinking to yourself, how could you possibly talk about something that long for, but again, it was just about up to the minute, like on your mind, just trying to get in not only just the details of the throw, splashing in some NFL stuff, splashing in some statistics, splashing in some, some buzzwords that kind of generated. And the reason why I got into it is one day, like you, I turned on at one in the morning, I was flipping through the stations. I saw this NFL show and I'm thinking to myself, man, they need someone on there that played the game that can speak, that can, you know, generate some buzz. And what I did was I actually been, I was at a golf event in Florida. I happened to play golf with the C, the C COO of, of a, the home shop. And I said, Hey, listen, I was like, you guys got this NFL show. It's like, how can I like, you know, interview for it or whatever. And he's like, you know, what? I'm not real sure. He's like, let me find out. So like a couple of weeks later, I got a call from them. I said, Hey, listen, you know, one of our bosses gave us a call. Why don't you come down to the set? So I went down and then, it literally started uh, seven straight years of, of working and selling as their main host. I did 70 shows a year. And remember, these shows could come on at midnight because it features West Coast states or it could come on at six in the morning. Uh, so now I don't do as many shows. I am specifically just tied in with one company. And we do, we do one, uh, one day Thanksgiving every year and we go... 12 shows from midnight to midnight the entire Thanksgiving day. And we try to sell as many NFL throws as possible. And we break records and do it every single year. I think last year we had 70,000 plus sales in just that 12 hour uh, window, 24 hour window, which was outstanding. But yeah, I've sold, I think it was like close to 15 to $20 million worth of of NFL gear in those, in those 30 minute window shows. Uh, but I love it. I don't do as many now. I just lock into one, but the one thing I learned from it is you got to have diversity in this business. If you just count on one thing, calling college games or just calling NFL games, it's not going to work out for you. So I, I learned to be diverse and, and that's why I have multiple things going, but you got to put the time in the work and you can't be people's like, well, just be great. In one thing. Cause you're going to struggle. But I just, I like to put that time into everything and, and sell myself there. So it's been, it was been a nice change up for me into my career and it made the games and calling games and studio shows for ESPN and NFL really easy because now it's one camera, two cameras, which is, is kind of a, is a joke to do <laughs> versus five. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. I guess like most things, Anthony, it's, uh, it's more than meets the eye, right? Uh, right? Things are never as easy as they seem. Well, I know you got to go. Just tell us quickly about your podcast. Yeah, so I uh, started a podcast last year called Spit and Fire with uh, Anthony Beck, Dan Grassa. Dan is a co-host of mine. He does a lot on serious uh, Major League Baseball, serious NFL, ESPN New York, uh, fills in for a lot of those hosts' jobs. I think he's a great young talent, 
that's really blossoming. I wanted to team up with him. We worked together in the Jets pre and post game. So uh, we're actually, our podcast last year, what we launched is turning into a full-blown studio show, which we tried to bring out week one of NFL, but we're, we're waiting a couple more weeks fine-tuning it so we'll be able to kind of get through that and push that out in October you can follow me on Anthony underscore Beck on Twitter Facebook Instagram and just find out when that's going to happen but we're excited about it we filmed several shows but we haven't pushed it out yet we're just kind of tweaking things so uh that'll be out stay tuned that'll be out soon Anthony this was a lot of fun uh you're a great guy uh interesting guy thank you for being on the show yep Nick Angela thank you for having me I appreciate you both We're going to take a short break and be right back with Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl Executive Director Scott Glazier. Stay with us. This podcast is powered by Tony Faye PR. Welcome back to Bowl Season Stories. We are staying with the Tampa theme of this show with our next guest, Scott Glazier, as Executive Director of the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. Previously, Glazier worked for the University of South Florida and also here that he was a star pitcher for USF back in the day. Scott, thank you so much for joining us for the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I saw who your prior guest was, and that's a tough act to follow. So I'll do my best to uh, provide some good uh, conversation here in the next few minutes. Scott, people uh, ask me all the time what my favorite bowl is, right? And that's a tough question for me. It's like asking somebody to pick their favorite child. Uh, <laughs> but you know I always have a soft spot for your game. I had a lot to do with the creation of it. Uh, helping launch it uh, uh, in St. Pete back in 2008 uh, with ESPN Events. Your former boss, Pete Durzis, and I worked closely together to start it. But, but you were named executive director uh, for the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa two years ago. That coincided with the bowl moving from St. Pete across the Bay to Tampa, uh, as well as rebranding it as the Gasparilla Bowl. What has that entire experience been like for you? I'll tell you what, it, it actually it moved over the, the year prior to me starting in 2018. I started in 2019. Um, it actually started in name the year, the last year in St. Pete. So, you know, in terms of the prior staff, give them all the credit in the world for recognizing the energy of what the name Gasparilla means to the Tampa Bay community. Um, but, you know, with me coming on board two years ago, taking a game that transitioned from 10 years in St. Pete, now in year four in Hillsborough County, um, you know, it's an opportunity. It's a challenge. You know, you have you have 14 years of history of this bowl in general, but trying to lay down roots and trying to rebrand and relaunch in a time that this country's gone through some difficult things. And, and you know, live entertainment and sports is no different. So for us, um, aligning with a brand like Gasparilla in Tampa Bay has certainly set us up for success. And it's just continuing to try to work those relationships and create that brand identity that we all try to work towards in our own businesses. And um, realize that at the end of the day, there's a football game involved with it as well. So, so it, it's exciting times for sure. Well, I planned on asking you this question down the line here, but let you, you bring it up. Tell us about Gasparilla. What is it? Why is it so important to Tampa Bay and so, so relevant to the area that you live in? I'm not sure we have enough time on, on, on this call, <laughs> but I'll do my best. You know, if you can envision, you know, New Orleans and Mardi Gras and that type of an atmosphere, not necessarily the, the number of days, but um, Gasparilla is, is a parade in which, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, Jose Gaspar was this outlaw pirate who ran the waters of West Florida and, um, you know, came into Hillsborough County. And apparently there's a lost treasure in the area. And, and our partners, the Mystic Crew of Gasparilla, took that story and, and brought it to life in our area. 
in uh, what is known today as Gasparilla. And it's, you know, it's a parade, you know, downtown on the Bay, on Bayshore Boulevard, right along the bay. Um, pirate ship comes in, they invade Tampa Bay, uh, 400 plus thousand people at a, at, at a night parade with um, all the uh, entertainment and excitement, as you can imagine. And people live for this. And, you know, when, when the name, uh, when, when the bowl was renamed Gasparilla, that was part of it. It was how do you create an excitement in a community that has so much going on? Champa Bay does not lose, right? So you cannot be successful in Tampa unless you win. And if you want to win in Tampa, get involved with a bunch of crazy pirates that want to have a little bit of fun. And, uh, you know, I always say if we could take a little bit of that excitement from Bayshore Boulevard and get it to Ray J on game day, then, you know, we've got a pretty successful opportunity here. You know, a lot of unique names in the bowl industry, as you know, and uh, Gasparilla, along with our title sponsor, Union Home Mortgage, is, is uh, certainly something that we can have a lot of fun with. Well, clearly, you know, the Buccaneers have a big presence in town. You got that big pirate ship in the stadium that you share with the Buccaneers. So uh, pirates, uh, pirates are a big thing in Tampa, obviously. And, and you're, you, you're certainly no stranger to Tampa. You grew up in Brandon, Florida, uh, not too far outside of Tampa, went to USF worked in the athletic department at USF for 19 years, and now you're running one of the two bowl games in town. How much of an advantage is it for you in this new role to know the community as well as you do? Well, community is everything. You know, we, we talk about it regularly about, yes, it's a, it's a game, but it's the community impact that bowl season and the bowl industry brings back. And so while Tampa is a large city, it's really small in nature. You know, there's, you know, talk about Team Tampa Bay, which is our, our local Tampa Bay Sports Commission, you know, kind of coined a number of years ago. And, and if you think about those words, Team Tampa Bay, it's really powerful. And, you know, with the years of playing sports at USF, you know, I'm a former baseball guy who threw the ball around a little bit. But, you know, it's hard it's hard to, to win unless you're a true team. And Team Tampa Bay represents that. And we understand that you have to put in the work to be on that team. We understand everybody has a position that they play. Not everybody's the shortstop or the quarterback. And so we as the Gasparilla Bowl um, want to be on that team or on that team, and we're ready to play the position that we best fit for our community. So um, it's uh, sports has been has been a lot, and it's, and it's exciting to be here in the backyard and, and uh, put on a good football game for our fans. You mentioned your your baseball career. You were a top pitching prospect in high school, drafted by the Yankees, ended up playing – in the Pirates organization before returning to Tampa. What have you been able to bring from your experience of playing on teams, especially minor league baseball? You're bussing around, you're bonding together with your teammates, much like your teams do that come to your bowl game for that, for that bowl week. Uh, what, what, if, what, what has those experiences uh, helped? How have they helped you prepare for your current role? Well, you know, as a, as a former student athlete, again, I was on a college campus for, you know, over 25 years between, you know, playing days and career days. You know, been a sport administrator. I've, you know, I've, I've I've been on the field. I've been in the meetings. I've I've met with the athletic directors. I I feel like I understand what the student athletes looking for, what the administration's looking for, what the spirit squads are looking for, what the you know the alumni. I worked for the alumni association for two years. So I think if you take all of those experiences, including riding on the bus, and you understand the opportunity you have to impact lives. Um, and impact lives through a game, 
uh, and, and that's what it is. It's a game, but it impacts, you know, our lives, you know, for the rest of our lives, you know, and then Nick, your background in sports and, and being on campus and playing is no different than mine, although it, you, know, you were in football and baseball, but, um, you know, I met my wife because of sport, my best friends because of sport. I learned how to win because of sport, but I also learned how to accept defeat through sport, time management, perseverance, you know, all these things that today we all sit you know, where we do in our daily lives and our careers. And without struggling through that long bus ride with no air conditioning or a bad movie selection, or quite frankly, sitting next to a guy that you didn't necessarily care for, but you had to figure out how to get it done. So the next day on the field, you won as a team. There's just so much behind, you know, that sport, the word sport and what it means. And, um, you know, for this to be my backyard, like you said, to have the opportunity to lead one or two bowls in our community and know the life memories that we're going to create. You know, I don't know that everybody recognizes what what our games and what our industry and what sport does, but it's uh, it means a lot to me. It's funny how you look back at times in your life and what at the time might have seemed like an inconvenience. And I got to ride, ride this bus. We're all crammed in here. You look back at them fondly as, boy, I, I would do anything to go back and do that again. I'd say I, I probably remember more stories off the field than I do about on them. You know, yeah, you want to play, you want to win. It's competition. It's a challenge. But, you know, the friendships that you make, the memories that you make, the card game that you got the wrong card, whatever it is, these are these the, the memories that when we get back together, I still help run up, run our baseball alumni golf tournament. And we don't talk as much about the big game we won or lost. We talk about everything else, you know, the experiences walking to class or in the apartment or on the bus ride. Or remember when, you know, the fire alarm got pulled at the hotel and at 3 a.m. before the big game, we're in the park. You know, all these things that just happen that mold these young these young athletes, it's it's just going to impact the rest of their life more than they even realize. I never knew it would impact mine the way it did, but it certainly has. And so... Um, Again, just just an amazing and blessed opportunity that we had to, to work in this industry. No question about it. Uh, tell me, when you look at the college football landscape this season, what's uh, anything that surprised you? Any teams that have kind of caught your eye? Now, I mean, obviously, there's some you know there's some teams that you know are expected to win some games that aren't, which I love. You know, I'm I'm the five foot nine and three quarters left handed pitcher that if I was six plus, maybe we would have never met. So I always go for the little guy, right? So I love to see some of these upsets taking place, but um, you know, nothing that's too surprising. You know, it's it feels like bowl season's around the corner, but there's still such a long season ahead of us at the same time. So, you know, I I, I just, you know, I, I look for these athletes to continue to compete and and anybody can win. And I love that Cinderella type story. And um, you know, nothing, nothing's gonna surprise me. You know, nobody nobody thought Clemson was gonna lose. Clemson's an outstanding team, but you know, there's so there's but those stories are great, right? The the the, the winning team created a memory for a lifetime. And so um, I just look forward to following the rest of the season and, and see how we can make some selections down the road that make sense for our business. Well, you're, you're right. Bowl season is around the corner. There's going to be a group of teams that get their fifth win this weekend, which means the following week, there's going to be a handful of teams that get their sixth win and punch their ticket to bowl season. And, and then it really starts getting fun. So, you know, getting close to that point, any predictions from you uh, on who's going to be in the Gasparilla Bowl this year? No, no, no predictions for me. Obviously, you know, ESPN events, we own and operate 17 bowl games, you know, across the country. We as a, as a company are always looking for the best matchup for our communities. 
you know, part of our, our jobs to drive tourism, right? But we're also, it's about the matchup. It's about the alumni travel. It's about regionalizing some games and giving some people some experiences to travel to places that they haven't been before. So, you know, eight conference agreements, two independents, you know, we're, a, we're a, what's considered a primary. doesn't mean that we'll necessarily select them, but we are slated for an SEC, ACC type matchup if there are enough teams that are eligible. We have great partnerships with the American and the Conference USA and, you know, the MAC and the SWAC and BYU and Army. So we have a lot of options, which is great. Like you said, as teams roll into being bowl eligible here in the next week or two, you start to look and see how those teams move forward throughout the season. And it'll, it'll be a great matchup. I mean, we're two days prior to Christmas. Uh, it's probably going to be 75 to 80 degrees and sunny in Tampa, Florida. And who wouldn't want to be here? Well, as you just said, Scott, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl is scheduled for Thursday, December 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern time at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. The game will be broadcast on ESPN. Thanks, Scott, for being on the show. It's been a great conversation. Really appreciate your insight and for spending time with us. Now, I appreciate the opportunity and thankful for all the things you're doing with bowl season. And I look forward to working together uh, even more throughout the season. Thanks so much. And thanks all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. Ah!